says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, and I'm going to use the word concise, and uh, it's probably a bit of an over, uh, overestimate of our abilities here, but joining me for a concise NRL news and NRL preview podcast are my good mates, 60s and Quint. Boys, we've got to try and keep uh, under the crack of the whip this week because we're, we're putting two podcasts together, but how you, uh, how you two doing this week? Mate, your level of optimism is brilliant. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I mean, what do we call concise for squeezing two podcasts mm-hmm. into one? Three hours? <laughs> and on top of that, with all the news that's broken over the last 24, 48 hours, uh, there's a challenge ahead of us, gents. And before we get into it, a quick shout out to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta, making a tip sheet happen every week. Okay, hit this hit the stinger, Forty. Let's just get into it. News team, assemble! All right, take us away, big fella. What's happening in Paratown this week? Well, mate, let's kick off with the biggest news, which is Mitch Moses officially signing with the Eels. Take it away, John. What's your takes there? Happy to have it in black and white done. I mean, it's been not almost rumoured, but like almost confirmed, without being confirmed for over a month now. So very happy to have it down in black and white. Happy the Eels can now plan out their recruitment and retention strategies around how they've structured Mitch's deal, uh, which is a... Uh, black and white contract until the end of 2026 and then player options for 27 and 28 in his favour. Uh, and, yeah, really keen to see what we can do now that we've got uh, a really clear idea of what our cap picture entails for the coming seasons. Clint? Yeah, look, it's just great to get that bit of business done. And as John just touched on, you, we, we thankfully now have a very clear picture of, of what we can do with our salary cap and subsequently go about uh, rounding out the rest of our roster now that this deal has been done. Yeah, it's it's obviously it's been that's just about a matter of uh, paperwork that had to be finalised with that. But it's not the only signing news because although it's not official, it's being reported that it's a done deal that Joe Offengawe has linked with the Parramatta Eels and could be available as early as next week. Well, he was meant to be, if you're reading, reading the most recent report, 60s, he was meant to be available... This week, hopefully, for the Parramatta Eels, I'm hoping to have him announced by a team was Tuesday in order to include him in their top-tier squads. And uh, following that, they're hoping to have him over for the curtain raiser in the New South Wales Cup on Friday. But in a stunning uh, backstep, I suppose, of only West Tigers proportion, the Tigers have actually come back and told Joe they want him to play this week. Mm. So yep. what what happens if he gets hurt now? Well, look. look. Please, <laughs> we've got enough issues on that regard. We don't need any more. Like yeah. this beggar's belief, gents. This beggar's belief, and as you said, they're forty. Only something that could happen in Tiger Town. Why would they risk yeah. uh, 
offloading, you know, and, and obviously Joe's not part of their plans and he's a part of ours moving forward. But For one game. A potential injury happening and um, the subsequent cap relief that we would provide. Why would they put that deal in jeopardy? And what does that say to the younger kids that are, are, um, are at the West Tigers now? Oh, look, this week you're not important enough for us, but don't worry, next week you will be. Where's the logic in this? Uh, well, I think what we've learned is that over recent times, logic and West Tigers are too mutually exclusive. <laughs> I was... I was a little lukewarm on the uh, the big Joe signing initially, uh, given that NRL three sixty sort of uh, uh, tipped his contract value to be around four fifty this year, and then six hundred the next two seasons, which the Eels, which is what the Eels would be inheriting. But uh, Michael Carianis on Twitter, uh, the journal was sort of implying that the Tigers would be tipping in for at least the next two next, this season and next season at the very minimum for that deal. Uh, so look, I'm still not red hot about it because. Uh, it comes back to if you if you can sign uh, Joe, why don't you just keep Ice? Uh, but in saying that, um, you know, I think you'll have a, a lot to prove coming here, uh, and he'll have a bit of fire in his belly to come to a club where he can probably achieve a high ceiling. If he works out anything like the last high-profile middle forward to come to us, where his old club was tipping in a fair whack of the contract, that being RCG. I'll be very happy and I'll back BA to work on any West Tigers traits and get them out of his system. Um, now, there's also news that Woody, Wiramu Greg, might be extending at the club. What do we what do we make of that? Yeah, I think it was uh, uh, the Channel 9 mole now. I'm so used to him being rugby league mole and it has been, <laughs> it has been that way for so long, but... He was um, saying that uh, Woody's closing in on a three-year extension. So, obviously shows the club, if that's the case, uh, are very happy with how he's travelling. I've been very happy with how he's travelling because most of our extensions tend to be structured in one or two-year brackets at the moment. So, to give him three years would be a big vote of confidence. Yeah, Clint? Yeah, look, I've got to agree. And, you know, um, being purely speculative here, of course, but I would suggest that the additional year is probably about um, managing the value of his contract um, to a lower amount, um, but giving the security of the extra year. And, you know, I, I think that's good business for, for both player and club. And, you know, with the uh, pending addition of, of big Joe Okangawe from West Tigers and, and um, extending Wiramu Greg, you know, on top of um, the, the rest of the middles that we have signed up long-term in RCG, Junior Barlow, uh, Regan Campbell, uh, sorry, um, Ryan Madison and Jermaine Hopgood. It means that our middles are, are good to go for the next few seasons. And, of course, balancing out that good news, we have that news and confirmation of the long-term injury to Sean Lane with him being missing uh, at least two months, it looks like. I guess if you're talking about a hamstring injury to a player, you probably couldn't get a longer hamstring than that belonging to Sean Lane. No, it's um, absolutely brutal news for the big fella. And it's a, a real cherry on top of a pretty cursed season for him so far. Uh, coming into the preseason trials, busting that uh, cheek or jawbone against the Newcastle Knights and putting him out for pretty much the same timeline between six to eight weeks initially. Gets back in, uh, you know, a bit hot and cold as you'd expect given a lack of game time and then does his hammy. And it was just nothing in it too. That's how hammies go. 
Uh, so very, very frustrating for the big fella. Very, very frustrating for the Parramatta Eels. Uh, I know that Bryce Cartwright's going to come in and do a good job. But as we've mentioned in the past, uh, Sean Lane, even if his form is a little bit up and down sometimes, his value to that left edge really transcends the pure numbers. And it's going to be interesting to see how Dylan can step up and lead that side of the field in his absence. Absolute shame to be missing Sean Lane for this period of time, Jensen. You know, it will be interesting to see what Dylan does do in his absence. It's it's a real challenge for him. He doesn't have that safety net, uh, I guess, that you can refer to Sean as being for him. Um, but uh, likewise, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's a real shame because he was looking very lively in the minutes that he played against Canberra. You know, it's probably some of the best, or the 30 minutes that he played. You know, he, he, he was poking his head through holes and I dare say if uh, he plays that, uh, that 80 minutes like he, he usually does, he's probably a, a, a big contributor to a potential win. Yeah, now I think the thing with Sean Lane is that influence on Dylan Brown. That's my, that's my biggest concern. So um, although Dylan did appear to really step up even after Sean left the field last week. So let's hope that that uh, continues on. Now, just segueing then to last week, we had BA come out for the first time in his 10 years at the helm of the Eels and criticise the refereeing performance in uh, the game against the Raiders. Were you shocked, John? I mean, I was shocked in the sense that, you know, a decade of his tenure at the club had conditioned us to not expect any outright criticism of the officials. And we've had results where the officiating has been very brutal, or, you know, unfair, cruel, however you want to describe it, in the past. In particular, probably that uh, 2017 loss to the Melbourne Storm in the finals. And even then, you know, he, he sort of had one, I think he asked a sort of like a rhetorical question of a, a journo back then, and it was nowhere near uh, the sort of scathing criticism we see from so many NRL coaches. So... Yeah, I was surprised 60s, and I know that a lot of fans have been banged for this for a long time, so it was funny to see a lot of people complaining about how classic Brad Arthur not taking responsibility for the for, oh. for loss. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? You know, like the, the baying and the baying and the baying, you know, like you've got to take the fine, take the fine, say something about the reps, and for the first time ever, says it, and, oh, whinging, whinging BA. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, Clint, what's your what's your take on it? Uh, you're just on a road to nowhere with um, with some of that circular logic that exists. Uh, you know, you, unfortunately, poor BA can't win in that scenario. But you know, it, it's worth saying, gents. Um, you know, and it kind of feels silly that we have to point this out. Uh, the press conference, the post game press conference, isn't the only means in which the head coach can send a message to the NRL about the performance of a referee. You know. You, they have conversations with with officials throughout the week, not necessarily the referees, but the the, the referees' boss, and they they speak about the games and get interpret uh, try to understand interpretations and ask questions and raise their concerns. So, you know, um, it, for 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 BA's tenure at the club, you know, it's largely been about maintaining a um, a level of professionalism and and not going up half cocked um, in a pre- press conference. But sometimes, sometimes, you know. Um, it's something that you have to do, and it's, and it's, it's probably part of the game. And, and uh, I, I guess trying to establish future competitive advantage for your team, um, as well as um, you know, airing some grievances. And he's only human. And um, personally, gents, I was quite happy to see him do it because 
I think we were all feeling pretty similar after that game. You know, I still cannot understand how a player in Corey Holsbrook went in, closed-fisted punch, uh, was merely sin-binned as opposed to straight sent off, and then we were penalised for what happened in that sequence of play. Yeah, it's it goes into uh, why on earth was Jake Arthur penalised for uh, you know running that uh, block with the yep. uh, with that kick. Uh, it goes into why was the play stopped for uh, video official Casey Badger to take taking the play back to the previous tackle to penalise Bailey Simonson for a hip drop, which actually wasn't a hip drop. And, of course, that decision being on the fourth tackle, that it would have been a fifth fifth tackle kick um, coming up, uh, led to the Raiders' first try just before halftime and gave them an important run of momentum. Um, it, it's it's just dumbfounding that there are all these uh, errors that were made. I'll guarantee you this, because I know it's happened in the past. The only thing that you get out of this is an NRL official admission to the club that mistakes were made. And they will admit that they made mistake A, B, C, whatever the case may be. And in this instance, they will be admitting that they made mistake A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and so on. Because it was a game that was full of refereeing errors. And it was... It was one of the worst officiated games that I've seen this season. And how you get a situation where in one week, a couple of weeks before, in one round, a couple of weeks before, that RCG receives one of the worst hip drop tackles that puts him out of the game for the best part of two months. And there's all the time in the world to look at it. There's no penalty. There's no sin bin. And then we get that ridiculous happening with Bailey Simonson. And it's the same official that, that finds fault there. So you tell me, how, does, how do you go from incredibly wrong one way to incredibly wrong the opposite way? I mean, we're talking about a wild swing of how something is viewed. Not on the run. Not on the run but with all the time in the world to look at it. And that's just not good enough. But here we go. The Eels made the official complaint, uh, made the complaint actually in the press conference. And we've been rewarded this week where uh, we've got Ashley Klein as the on-field official. And guess who's in the bunker? And Grant Atkins <laughs> as the video official. Yeah. So you you tell me how, they, how the NRL has responded to the um, the errors that were made in this match. I, I'll, I'll Me, say no more. Meanwhile, the ref that uh, uh, the Warriors sponsor arced up at ended up getting dropped, by the way. So <laughs> there's yeah. some interesting stuff happening. Oh. And do you know what? How that particular referee has been dropped is beyond me because I think he's one of the brightest talents coming through in the referees' ranks. Couldn't agree more. Like he he is a genuine refereeing talent. Absolutely. He so, reads, he reads the game well very 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 well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um now moving on. Out of uh Team List Tuesday, first of all, seven SG ball players now selected in the Jersey Flag, the Eels Jersey Flag team. 
How amazing is that? Feels like the uh, old school sort of uh, WWF, WCW invasion arc. You got like a, an alternate, <laughs> like a rival company coming in and just invading your product. The SG ball players uh, coming in and just making the team their own. They're doing very well. Yep, yep. And it's uh, this week we we have uh, the appearance now of Arpa Twidal at fullback and Matt Arthur on the interchange bench as uh, as the interchange dummy half. So we'll see some minutes from him um, taking over from Davis. From, and, uh, uh, out of the out blue, of the, a, random, uh, a random new face in the team too, Ethan Martin, who joins us by way of the Dolphins, by way of Rugby Union. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes this week. Uh, Clint, how does it uh, how does it make you feel about that progression of pathways players so quickly, such a large number, and so quickly into the uh, senior ranks? It speaks to the regard in which the uh, the quality of the SG ball team is held, and likewise the future that we see these players having at this club. The fact that we want to progress as many as possible, not because we're trying to necessarily quote unquote fast track them, but because they have the quality to be fast tracked. Um, I think it speaks volumes about what's in store for us. And, you know, that's not to say that every player will be a star, but, you know, normally out of a, a, a team like that, you get two or three NRL players. And if we, if we, if we get at least that and maybe even more, then we're doing very well. And you know this this is this is exciting times for the club as well for the uh, in the immediate term um, the Jersey Flake side. Yes, and of course the other consequence or the the part of that chain reaction about players moving up and down is that the captain of the Jersey Flake team, Jock Brazel, has been elevated from flag up to the interchange bench for the New South Wales Cup. Well, is it a reward at the moment after the result <laughs> of the New South Wales Cup team last week? But I'm sure from Jock's perspective it is because he's a player who'll be looking at being part of the full-time squad next year. I'm, I'm fairly certain about that. So, um, you know, he was involved in training uh, last night when I caught training. So, uh, no doubt it's exciting for him to be... Uh, because he's in that New South Wales Cup team, he's involved in Eels NRL training as well. So, um, yeah, John, your, your thoughts about Jock? He's, yeah. he's been he's been a player that we've tracked for a number of years now and had a high opinion of. And for him, he's finally getting back to where he thought he would have been 12 months ago before that ACL injury derailed his entire 2022 season. So really happy for him to be making that progression now. Uh, you know, he just plays with so much fire and passion on both sides of the football you know a huge effort player that also brings a lot of quality to his uh, contributions so really keen to see how he goes you know probably going to be a slow start in the cup too because he's going to be behind uh, a couple of if i just pull up the team list here can't find the cup he's uh, got uh dan keir momasia Jaden yates uh in front of him there so there's going to be opportunities there uh and there's no uh tony Matelli this week i don't know if he picked up a suspension or an injury so there will be there will be opportunities for him to get some minutes in this game, uh, but like you said, sixties, it's both a curse and a blessing coming into this team uh, because he gets the opportunity to showcase his wares in proper senior football. Uh, but the Eels aren't travelling so flash in this grade, which does make me think uh, in the sort of bigger picture of this year. Uh, you know, Clint was talking about promoting players when they're ready and and you know being aggressive but not 
at the detriment of a player's own development, but how aggressive they will be for this New South Wales Cup team and uh, those sort of young flag players that could potentially get a bit of a, a cup of coffee, I suppose, not necessarily a full-on you know, a half a season in, in reserve grade, but maybe a game or two here and there in senior football. Yeah, Clint? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier for Jock. And, you know, he, he, he as you said, a, a player that you two um, collectively have earmarked for quite some time. And um, it, was, it was both of you who, who brought um, Jock to my attention initially um, when we we're watching some, um, some junior grade, lower grades. Um, play out at Kellyville last, uh, well, year, year prior, I should say, and um, and you know, it, it's he, hopefully to John's point, he starts the trend of of some of those um, some of those flag players coming up, and you know, if it, it, it could well be depending on where the New South Wales Cup side um, is positioned in the in in the final few weeks of this year, that some of those boys might get a straight-up go just to see how they handle playing against men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. And um, we just – we will get well, – I think we'll get into the NRL team uh, selections once we uh, get into the previews there. But the other news coming out of Paradise, of course, was the NRLW signing update. I think since we last did the news podcast, we've had quite a number of new additions to the roster that have been added. Yeah, we had uh, Monique Donovan announced just a couple of days ago, uh, and she comes to us by way of, uh, was it the Broncos? Rabbitohs. Uh, and she's actually got a connection with Dean Witters in the Harvey Norman Women's Premiership there. And uh, got a bit, of, a bit of a knack for the try one. So she, she gives us a bit of speed and finishing out in the, uh, on the flanks. So I think she'll probably line up at centre for a 60s. Yes, and uh, prior to that, we've had the likes of uh, Amelia Murphy, Rosemary mm-hmm. Beckett, Jade Fanua, uh, Pihuku, Berryman Duff, uh, Tyler Amiatu, Capri, Pakau, and Shannon Maru that were all announced in one big uh, signing announcement uh, prior to that. And so while we, you could probably be critical of the Eels for being a, having a little bit of inertia when it came to getting the ball rolling with those marquee signings. I know Rachel Pearson was a very good pickup, uh, and then eventually we ended up getting LC Albert too, which gives us a rock-side foundation. I actually think they've done some really good work uh, building out the squad here. I'm really interested to see how they're going to go uh, around the ringers with uh, Dean Witters this, uh, this year, sorry, uh, because it looks like they're going to have a bit more pace, a bit more skill, uh, and maybe on the back of a bit, a bit of a more aggressive platform between Albert and Kennedy Jarrington. Yeah, uh, Clint, what's your takes on the signings? Uh, well, to, to add to that um, that suggestion, I absolutely agree that it looks like we're going to be trying to play with more speed. You know, you you you, you add um, Rachel Pearson's kicking game, who, in my opinion, you know, in, has the best kicking game in the NRLW, and certainly has the last couple of seasons. You know, uh, I'm. I think that there's um, some good foundations there, and, and obviously, um, you know, the the recruitment suggests a, probably a slightly different playing style to what uh, to what we played um, in the NRLW um, the the first couple in our first couple of seasons to date. So, um, you know, it, it definitely bodes for a more expansive style football playing style team. Um, you know, with a couple of important um, players in the engine room uh, carrying. You know, Taking those tough carries and and you know much like our, uh, our own Mitchell Moses for the men's side, you have Rachel Pearson calling the shots and 
kicking um, kicking for field position uh, in the women's. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that it's really been a complete uh, deconstruction of the Eels team, uh, really starting anew with so many uh, players that are recruits to the club. We do have a, a couple of returning, a few returning players, but obviously the majority of players are now new to the squad. It gives a chance to... I mean, we're, it, it's strange because last year was the first year of NRLW for the Eels, but we had two seasons squeezed into the one year. So it sort of feels like, oh, we've lost these players who'd become part of the identity of the Eels. But in reality, we're talking about one year that those uh, particular players who've moved on um, were with our club. So now with multi-year deals... We're going to start to, I guess, build up uh, favourite players, players that we identify as being part of the clubs. Obviously, um, Kennedy Cherrington and her uh, sister Ruben uh, are going to remain fan favourites because they've they've re-upped with the club and and Kennedy's really the face now of the Parramatta Eels NRLW team. So, uh, yeah, it will be interesting. Of course, we'll be providing specialised coverage of the NRLW when it rolls around, when the season starts. And uh, we'll have a bit of news about how we'll be covering the NRLW as we get closer to that. Now, fellas, NRL news. We would no surprise about Anthony Griffin. Dead man walking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately for him. And you know what? Uh, I, I'm just going to kick things off. Man, I, I feel somewhat sorry for Anthony Griffin because last night when they were talking about um, what what's going to make it different if someone like Jason Riles comes in and they started talking about all the resources that they're going to pump in to support his coaching. What's the obvious question from that? Yeah, where were they for every other coach that's been there, including Griffin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why now the available? same thing. Yeah, the same thing happened, right? When um, when you saw Trent Barrett get moved on from the Bulldogs, and in luring Cameron Seraldo, it was the same thing. They're going to surprise, provide all this extra support, and um, and you know all these marquee signings, and you just think to yourself, if you were that coach that was moved on, how would you feel? I mean, like I look back on the time when uh, we the the Eels finished spoon with the spoon in 2018, and the independent review was done. Not an internal review, an independent review. And one of the things that came from the independent review was there needs to be more resources put into the football department and more support for the coaching staff. And uh, they backed the they backed the coach in BA provided extra resources, moved the headquarters up to Kellyville. What do you know? Finals football for the next four seasons, hopefully this fifth season now. Um, Yeah, so uh, your thoughts on uh, Griffin being sacked, John? Yeah, I mean, it's just the Dragons, the Tigers, the Bulldogs, uh, and and prior to that, Parramatta, the Knights, uh, you know, the Warriors... Uh, all these clubs that have been uh, sort of long-term strugglers, they just chew up coaches and spit them out. 
And you know, the, when when there's a new board or a board feels like they need to make a change to save face and keep themselves in there, they'll make the change. And yeah, and they keep shuffling the deck chairs until they maybe find that lottery ticket coach. And this is just the latest for the, the Dragons. So uh, I don't, I don't think it was necessarily wrong to move on from Griffin, but uh, the the process surrounding it now and the, all this talk about pledging extra resources really leaves a, a sour taste in your mouth, doesn't it? It does, yeah, Clint. It's amazing the amount of people and the narrative that continues to get spun um, from a media perspective that the coach is a silver bullet. The coach is just part of the process. Resources play an incredible role. If they didn't, then the Roosters wouldn't be as successful, you know, current form pending. Or, um, But the Roosters wouldn't have, and, and, and the Storm and, the Broncos for the better part of the last 25 years wouldn't have enjoyed the level of success that they have. You know, it, resourcing and resources made available has an incredible, incredible effect on what uh, a, a football team and football club can and can't do. Um, but, you know, that doesn't make for the pretty headline. And you know, that's not to say that um, Anthony Griffin's time wasn't up there. You know, I, I, I think that was a, um, a relationship that's been heading for divorce for the better part of 12 months now. And, you know, uh, I kind of think back to that Simpsons moment of when Krusty announced his retirement. You know, why now? Why why not? Why not twenty years ago? In this instance, why now? Why not twelve months ago? You know, they they just um, dragged out a process there. Uh, for, uh, and wasn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong, gents. Wasn't it only twelve months ago that they extended Anthony Griffin? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It's, yep. It's an, it's an amazing about face, and you just kind of wonder with the logic there. I know that they've had some administrational changes um, at the Dragons, you know, I think at, um, for CEO um, and C executive level and also um, also at board level. But look, you know, it, it, there's, what's, what's to be gained now that wasn't to be gained a couple of weeks ago? I, I don't know. I'm not privy to the, the deal and, the, and, and all the details, but, you know, um, it obviously brings um, uh, our old friend and old Eels New South Wales coach Ryan Carr to the helm. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was the thing that I was going to mention. Then is uh, we've all got a, a fairly high opinion of Ryan Carr. Uh, we've uh, had uh, a number of opportunities to speak with him during his t- his time at the Parramatta Reels. I've witnessed him coaching. He's a very good communicator. Has a tremendous rapport with the players. He is very strong on his expectations of what takes place out on the field. He had the Eels uh, New South Wales Cup team performing quite strongly during his time there. Um, you know, what's the what's the likelihood of this bounce back win this week? Can they do it? You know, there's always that talk about the, you know, when a coach is sacked that the players arc and up. And, I think and, that's uh, actually a statistical falsehood too. Uh, yeah, I, look, I think it is too. But do you know what? I, I've just got a feeling this week that the Dragons might be sharp, sharply focused. I'm, I'm going to back them to get a win this week. Well, the Roosters, the Roosters are very beatable right now. So yeah, um, yeah, that's that's part of it. And look at what happened the last time they met, only a few short weeks ago. Yeah, so exactly, uh, absolute classic when the uh, the Anzac round. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but nah, yeah. Now speaking about rounds, we're in the Indigenous round this week, and with around ten percent of the NRL players being of Indigenous heritage, 
how important is it for the NRL to have an Indigenous round, fellas? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a, a cause for celebration for the code, uh, you know, and, and not just the fact that it's 10% of the playing population, 60s, but historically just some of the most iconic players too. And, you know, it goes right, you know, you think of one central player, probably Arthur Beetson really encapsulates it uh, in a single player. But, yeah, people of Indigenous extract have been right at the heart of rugby league since it was incepted way back in 1908. And, yeah, uh, it's really cool to see it being celebrated and, and not just be celebrated but seeing clubs buy in and put actual effort into their jersey designs and acknowledgement of their uh, players and, and staff and community members that come from that heritage. Yeah, Clint? Not only that, you know, we've seen throughout the week, um, you know, the the efforts that our own club have gone in in terms of connecting with Indigenous culture and, and um, the Indigenous dance uh, if I can call it as such, uh, lessons that took place um, at EOL's headquarters throughout the week, you know, and it, 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 I, I'm a big supporter of all the rounds um, that the NRL uh, runs that celebrates culture and 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 the cultures that that, that make up the players uh, on the playing group and 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 rugby league in general, um, you know, because. We have so many great contributions from so many great cultures, and you know, Australia is obviously a multicultural country, and uh, you know, it, it, it's great that we get to recognise um, all of them throughout the course of the year. And you know, Indigenous Round is an ex- is, is an exciting round given the jersey designs that come out, and you know, every year as, as John touched on, they, they they get better and better. And I, I really like ours this year. I think it, it tells it tells the story of of Parramatta or Barramatta and. And the Darug people, and you know, it's—I um, I think it's a really nice tribute. Yeah, I obviously every year I like to put out my Eels Dream Team and a bit of a post on the Indigenous Round, and uh, it—I think it's important to mention that rugby league was the first sport in Australia to have uh, an Indigenous captain of the national team when Arthur Beetson was appointed as the captain of the uh, Australian team back in 1973. So at a time when the the country itself um, was, I, I guess, at the embryonic stages of making um, Indigenous people recognise citizens of the country that and, and where Indigenous people were fighting for an identity that there was rugby league saying this indigenous player is a leader in our game and a role model in our game and i think that says a lot about the about the sport the other thing that might be a little bit controversial in my post this week is i've put forward the suggestion that the eels versus the rabbitohs should be an annual fixture in indigenous round because of the close links that both clubs have to uh, Indigenous people. So from the Eels' perspective, uh, being, with Parramatta being the anglicised version of Baramatta or, and the Baramattagal people uh, being the people of that dis, of, of the Parramatta area and, of course, the, um, uh, the fact that the, the Eels' original logo was uh, borrowed from the Parramatta Council logo, which featured a, an Aboriginal man and woman fishing and, um, and from the Rabbitohs' point of view, well, there's probably no other club that is uh, as recognised as, as the Rabbitohs club for the number of Indigenous players that have represented their team, being well over 100 that have played first grade for the Rabbitohs. So 
I've made the suggestion that it's the annual fixture. Now, I'm getting the impression that people aren't too keen well, on this. Well, because of, well the, because the merits of the uh, the contest in terms of the actual origins of the two clubs is fine. I can imagine there'll be quite a few fans that'll be saying, really? Really? Yeah, after well, after the last well, three years? See, missing, they, they might, there's a key word that I'm going to suggest there, annual. Annual. Yeah. So we'll play them once a year. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you got a... If you, I, I know they might think, well, if, if you're going to play them once a year, why does it have to be a match that they're likely to get up for in a big way? Well, you know what? If it's a big match occasion like this, why can't the Eels get up in a big way? Fair we point. Saw, we, we see what happens when the Dragons and the Roosters play in Anzac round. It doesn't matter where those clubs are placed on the ladder. You get a big match atmosphere and you get both clubs with the players just leaving nothing. They're just giving everything of themselves in the match. And that should be, if, if that's made an annual fixture and there's that heritage with the, just the, there is no NRL club that has a name like Parramatta. There is none. Like it's you know you you've you've got there a name that is a direct link to the the language of the indigenous people. So uh, you know there is no reason why the Parramatta Club couldn't get up for uh, an annual match like that. But I, I'm. Already from some of the social media responses to it, I can see people aren't... <laughs> the, the, wo- the wounds are a little bit too raw right now after three years of getting our backsides whipped. Yes, yes. yes. I'm thinking long-term when we start to dominate them every week. So, um, <laughs> okay. Um, and, of course, uh, speaking of, uh, of fixtures, we've got Origin right on our doorstep now. Let's let's just cut to the chase from our own club's perspective. Are we going to lose any players? Are we going to lose Jermaine Hopgood? Are we going to lose Junior Polo? Yeah, well, despite some middling form from Junes, I think he's almost a lock to be picked for New South Wales. Freddie, uh, Freddie loves him, and uh, he, he's the sort of player that will rise to the occasion. And in that way, maybe it would be the catalyst that he needs to get back to his best form for Parramatta. So knock on wood there. Uh, I hope that Hopgood gets picked, uh, but he's in a tight contest with, I think, Corey Horsburgh and uh, maybe sort of like one or two other, not surplus, but like those utility, like final spot guys. Uh, and I think that the narrative of uh, the Raiders sort of ascending in the ill struggling might help Corey get over the line as opposed to Hopgood. Yeah, Clint? Yeah, look, Junior's junior's, uh, odds on to be selected again for New South Wales, as John touched on, Freddie loves him. Even though, personally, if you're going to the team off form, I think Junior's um, selection probably might be questionable. But, uh, gents, I'm going to admit something here and admit something to our listeners. I'm pretty selfish when it comes to origin selections. And my view is I I want them available for the Eels. Now, I don't want to deny our boys representative honours. Absolutely, I want them to have those moments. But I care about them representing the Eels more. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, you know, on board, I'm on board with you, mate. I, I, I'm not going to mind. I'm not going to be upset if they don't make the cut. Yeah, you know, and it, 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 we've got a, a difficult clash coming up against the, the Cowboys, who 
will likely only be missing two players in Valentine Holmes and Ruben Cotter uh, next week in an origin effect. Who also uh, have uh, Luciano Leilor back too, who's been... So, uh, you know, uh, if if um, if Freddie was to somehow have a, a Freddie moment and not pick Junior and, and Jermaine's available, that gives us every... Um, uh, every better hope of trying to secure important two points in our season next week as well. So, you know, um, while I, I do wish our, all our boys the best of luck in attaining higher honours, and if they're selected, they'll absolutely have my support. I selfishly admit to, to you two and the listeners here that if they don't, well, that's a shame. I'm sure I'm sad they're turning out for our yields. Uh, we play the Cowboys next week, don't we? Yes. Yes. Oh, let's hope they get a whole lot of. Yeah, let's hope that there's you know five or six of them in there pretty comfortably, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If it was last year, that might have been the case. I'm not so sure yeah. about this year. Yeah. Uh, now, just again, I'm, I'm segueing through fixtures. A fixture this week has been the uh, national women's championships that's going on, and just for people to who aren't aware, it's featuring teams such as New South Wales City, New South Wales Country. Um, New South Wales Emerging Country, Northern Territory, South Australia, Australian Defence Force, Queensland Rubies, Queensland Sapphires, Victoria, Western Australia, First Nations Gems, and the Ahai K Aotearoa, which is the New Zealand uh, side in the competition. And uh, from the Eels' perspective, uh, we had uh, Lindsay Tui. Debbie uh, Dwahi and Talara Bamblett, who were selected. Oh, and Ashley, Ashley Pottinger as well, selected in the team. And uh, today we had, uh, in the first round of matches coming through, we saw that uh, Debbie Dwahi scored two tries playing out on the wing. So, um, uh, fellas, your, your thoughts on those Eels players getting selection in the City team? Yeah, no surprise seeing those four players getting picked. Uh, they were really the core of uh, the Parramatta Eels push into the finals in Tasha Gale. Uh, we had, what, three spine members there in Pottinger, Bamboot and Dwahi. And then Lindsay Tui, who was really one of my picks for best uh, on field across the season. She was just devastating with the ball in hand for the Eels. Uh, yeah, so good to see Debbie get on the uh, try scorer sheet with a brace. And hopefully they can continue some strong form and push into, I imagine, what would be an Australian merit team on the back of this? Yes, you'd, you'd think so. But um, I guess the other thing, too, that's going to be interesting from that is about the players that might also, on the back of this, participate in the NRLW preseason. Yes, that's also a fair point, 60s and... I'd expect uh, all four players to be part of that pathway uh, towards full-time football this year. So I'm um, just trying to think of uh, who else. I mean, depends who's um, who's also healthy. I think there was a couple of injuries at the back end of the Tashigal season too among the other players that might have been in the mix. So knock on wood that they got a fairly healthy complement of players to make that step, like that bridging step towards a, a full-time season next year. Yeah, Clint, how important is this for us to see pathways players making their way into the NRLW ranks? Well, continues the theme of what we've discussed around the uh, male junior representatives all year, you know, and it's the easiest way for us to cultivate a club culture within the women's game is is to see these players progressing as well, you know. Um, 
Debbie Dwarty, Dwarty in particular is is someone that I certainly look at as our um, as our future fullback, and you know there's certainly been some noise in terms of um, over the last few weeks, this, uh, up until most recently, the lack of signings. And you know, to to me, Debbie is someone that we we um, uh, I personally should say um, think uh, not necessarily this year, but certainly in future years could be our our long term number one. So. You know, um, it, it, it's it's good to see her succeeding. It's good to see the other players succeeding. And you know, hopefully they take this experience um, in the NRLW preseason. And who knows, some of them might even, um, you know, I, I assume that they'll probably be on a, a couple of them, if not all of them will be on development contracts, the NRLW, but some might even find their way into um, into a game or two. Yes, yeah. And um, Debbie's certainly shown her versatility because this year... She played in the halves, she played mm-hmm. fullback, and now in the championship, she's she's having a run on the wing there. Um, now, just staying in that women's space again, uh, for the New South Wales team, we've seen Pearson and Kennedy selected. Um, yeah, we got and a we did as have, well. yeah Tiana Penatani, although um, she's probably. Is she more likely to run around for the Sharks at this stage? The, I think the Eels claimed her on social media today, so that might be an indication that she will go with the Eels for at least Okay, so we just, we simply, we haven't had really confirmation of her being part of the Eels squad, although it's my understanding she's still under contract with the Parramatta Eels. So, um, uh, yeah, three players uh, picked for New South Wales for the uh, Origin match. Which uh, is the standalone at uh, uh, Combank Stadium this year? So that'll be exciting for the uh, women's game, and hopefully we get a big crowd that rolls up there for their first interstate game. Um, just moving on and staying with Origin, um, Josh Papali'i, forty, announcing his retirement. You mean uh, announcing his intention to sign with uh, South Sydney? That's how uh, the Jack White and stuff started, right? He announced his retirement from State of Origin. So I was thinking, as you were starting to say that, I'm going, hang on, hang on. Have I, have I, <laughs> did have I, did I, I miss some run? notes? Yeah. <laughs> no, no um, it looks like it's going and to be. By the way, for, for any listeners, we started up with so many hiccups tonight. Like we, our stop start and falling over, you know, tripping over our own tongues trying to get get some of this uh, content out. Uh, at the start of the night tonight, it was going to be no surprise if I'd stuffed up on the front sheet <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> no, it's um, uh, now two players from Canberra, so I don't know if there was a conversation at some point this season about knuckling down and focusing on club football or if in the Queensland camp, uh, well, Jack White's a, a New South Welshman, so I don't really know. Like, someone's had a conversation or if it's just coincidental. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's... Still got plenty left in the tank, I feel like. Uh, but uh, how old is he? He's about, he's about junior's age, maybe a little bit older, right? Uh, yeah. Got him yeah. at... He's, oh, he's 31 now, so he's not young, young. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe it just feels like there's uh, you know enough Queensland forwards coming through now. You know what? It's probably uh, Queenslanders that don't really care about playing for this state. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they haven't got a, they haven't uh, got a passion no. for Oh no! Oh no! You stirred it hot there, sixties. Yeah, I'm sure we've got a host of Queensland Origin players listening to the podcast that'll fire up. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, but Jermaine Hopgood does have uh, aspirations. You don't want to be putting that in his belly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and look, the other thing too that came out today uh, was was actually on news bulletins was uh, Leilua. Uh, Joey Leilua yeah. being cleared of the, uh, domestic violence. The DV charges, charges have been uh, withdrawn, and the Cowboys got uh, an exception on their uh, move to get his uh, inclusion on the no. Was it the no fault stand down list uh, uh, exclusion show terminated? So he's now eligible to play right now. So how long do you think it'll be before he comes back into the team? I mean, he's. He, uh, I'm assuming now. I could be wrong. I'm assuming he hasn't been able to train with the team during this period. Well, you'd think no fault stand down because Jack Bellon couldn't train for the team, right? That I'm yeah. pretty certain. So yeah, you'd think they'd give him like maybe a week or two just to get back to. Uh, like, uh, like, what's it called, synergy or just in sync with the team. Uh, but, you know, if they're desperate, uh, with State of Origin just around the corner, they might just rush him back in and say, just keep the game plan simple. You run hard, tackle hard. Yeah, yeah. Clint, what do you think? Uh, I can absolutely see it uh, unfolding that way. Um, you know, and, I think at the very... Always in time to play the Paramount Reels, yeah. Yep. As I, as I so often say, gents, eels rule, eels law. Um, yep. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think at the very least he'll come onto their bench next weekend and at the very least play some relief minutes there. So I'm totally anticipating him to um, to, put, to line up against the eels uh, in round 13 and likewise um, uh, probably have a half-decent game because he seems to fire up against us. Even when he played for the Tigers, he, he was always the best on ground for them and in the games that he represents the Tigers against us. And, you know, um, uh, it hasn't been too dissimilar in, in, since he's moved to the Cowboys. I think it was uh, you know, he in the grand final qualifier, he, he certainly scored that try that swung the momentum of the Cowboys way for quite a, a long period of that game. Yeah, and now just before we get into the preview, we've had a little bit of news that's uh, broken uh, via the Daily Telegraph. It uh, might have been something that we knew a little bit of seeing as though he's a good mate of ours um but we weren't going to be announcing anything about it because it was um that was all up to uh the eels but it would appear that the daily telegraph has broken some news 40. yeah uh, daily telegraph has revealed that uh as part of their a bid to sharpen up an eventual uh expansion roster slot in the nrl uh, Papua New Guinea have recruited Joey Grimer to be head of their pathways and elite talent development programs and you know spearhead uh, sort of a system of getting players from youth football towards NRL or potential NRL. And uh, Joey's taken up that role and, you know, big, big job for him there, but he'll relish the task when he's 60s. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, we're not um, shying away from our uh, the fact that, you know, Joey is a mate of ours and he... He featured all of last season on our podcast. He'd featured on the podcast uh, even the year before that. So um, we we know that they've re- that they've met that Papua New Guinea have added uh, a quality person, uh, a, a person that is absolutely um, without peer when it comes to his knowledge of the game and his ability to help develop young players in their rugby league journey and also help to develop coaches in their development. Um, so 
Uh, we'll probably be having a bit of a chat with Joey sometime soon about what's what's happening for him. But, of course, in the meantime, yes, it is Parramatta's loss there, but it, it's a, a gain for the expansion of Rugby League. And so from that broader picture, um, it's terrific news and we wish Joey Grimer nothing for, but the best uh, for him and his family in that uh, association with the... Uh, with the Papua New Guinea bid to be the 18th team in the NRL. Okay, fellas, um, preview time. Uh, let's let's get stuck into it. Um, John, first of all, uh, can you take us through the flag selections this week? Yeah, they're playing out at Mascot this week, 60s. 3 o'clock p.m. kickoff on Sunday, the 21st of May, taking on the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, we already mentioned earlier in the podcast, but we've got a whole host of SG ball players coming into this team now. Uh, we start at fullback with Arpa Tweedle. On the wings, you've got Matthew Komalafi and newcomer Ethan Martin. Very curious as how he goes 60s, given uh, his background in Union and coming from the Dolphins. In the centres, you've got Terrell Williams and young Richard Penasini, who bagged a double on debut on the flag, having a very good uh, very good day out at Canberra. In the halves, Mac Poifisi and Ethan Sanders recombine. Uh, I noticed that uh, Mac was sporting the uh, Eminem uh, peroxide hair on the weekend. Uh, very <laughs> yes, uh, not the first time Max sported that. I, he's he's obviously had positive feedback. About the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bagged a couple that, of tries. That positive feedback may not have come from me. <laughs> uh, in the front row, Noah Reed and Nikau Raffle get the start uh, on either shoulder of Jacob Davis. Uh, Jock Brazel is named the captain of this team, but we're not expecting him to play. So we'd expect uh, probably Saxon Pryke to come into the starting team in a bit of a back line or back row. Sorry. Uh, reshuffle, but right now, Brazel named alongside Will Latu and Nick Lenars. Uh, so probably Saxon on an edge this week, 60s. Uh, and then on the interchange, sorry, you have Matt Arthur making his flag debut, Saxon Pryke, Lance Fulima and Sam Torvati in an all-SG ball affair on the interchange rotation. Lachlan Mears-Crab is the 18th man. Uh, and this is a really reasonably um, highly seated match. I think it's 5v6, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah, so the fifth place Rabbitohs hosting the sixth place Eels. Uh, South Sydney having the ascendancy with a draw to their name. Otherwise, five wins apiece. Eels with the better for and against. They're at plus 14 versus the Rabbitohs minus 23. Uh, but yeah, this would be a good litmus test for the Parramatta Eels and all that young SG ball talent that's uh, clamoring through the ranks now. Well, they turned around uh, a start of the season loss to the Canberra Raiders uh, in their victory last week. So... That was uh, that was a good start in in seeing whether so many new combinations. When I say new combinations, I mean the the players who were the incumbent in the flag team and the players elevated from the SG ball. How they would combine? Now it wasn't that they were completely new to each other. We spoke about them training together during the preseason, and uh, a number of them would have played together in the past, but. You know, it was still uh, quite a good outing, and you'd expect that those combinations are only going to get better. So, uh, we, as I said, we spoke about that uh, before. Um, Clint, can you see them continuing on their winning ways? Well, you hope so. And uh, someone's form uh, line's going to change this weekend because uh, in the flag, the Rabbitohs are unbeaten at home and the Eels are unbeaten away. So... Um, you know, of, of the five wins that we've had, four of them have come away and only only one at home. So, you know, um, someone's record changes this week and they've recorded first loss in either a, a home or away fixture, respectively, for the Rabbitohs and Eels. Um, 
given the way the form the form line has gone and uh, you see the sort of the similarities in terms of um, uh, the, the Eels and Rabbitohs defence in games to date, uh, you'd like to think that some of those SG ball combinations coming in uh, continue to offer some renewed energy for the Clegg uh, side and that uh, hopefully they can come away from mascot with a victory. Yeah, uh, 40. We've uh, we've got that New South Wales Cup team that we we spoke about that uh, we have that inclusion from the Jersey flag team in Jock Brazzle, but they're coming off an absolute shellacking at the hands of the Raiders. Can you take us through the lineup for the Eels New South Wales Cup team? Yeah, a lot of work to do in the New South Wales Cup this week, gentlemen. They're actually the curtain raiser out at Allianz Stadium on Friday night, 5.15pm kickoff. Uh, I don't believe this one is uh, broadcast on any of the networks or New South Wales Rugby League TV, so you've got to get out there if you want to catch it. Uh, starting at fullback, you've got Dejan Arcee. Hayes Dunst actually gets dropped back from NRL to the New South Wales Cup this week. He'll be on the flanks with Chris Tupo, Isaac Lumi Lumi, and Zach Senior in the centres. Not exactly a defensive powerhouse pairing there in the back line, so uh, going to be some uh, potential points there for South Sydney to be scored. In the halves, Jordan Rankin is reunited with Jake Arthur, who comes back to the NRL of the... Sorry, back to the New South Wales Cup with the return of Mitchell Moses to the NRL. Luca Moretti starts in the front row this week where he'll partner Cry Wadroll. Uh, Many Luke is at dummy half. In the back row, it's Jiramon Masia and Dan Keir. Jaden Yates, the lock forward. Uh, Jock Brazel makes his cup debut at number 14. Very keen to see how he goes. Uh, he's joined by fellow Jersey flag young gun, Jonte Jr. Beffin Mesa. Uh, Tavita Talmapenu and Nico Apello round out the interchange. Uh, and they're taking on the South Sydney Rabbitohs, who actually sit a place below them in this grade. So one place above in the Jersey flag, one place below in the New South Wales Cup. Uh, so it is eight, sorry, 9v10, not 8v9. Uh, Eels with five wins and a draw to the Rabbitohs, four wins and zero draws, six losses. Both teams are very mediocre for and against, though. No surprise if the Parramatta Eels there, boys. They've copped a couple of shellackings now and have just been far too... Um, middling when it comes to a lot of these contests, and it's going to be a big test for him. You drop this game, and yeah, it's it's not looking good. Yeah, Clint, your thoughts on the New South Wales Cup team? Well, there's obviously some opportunities for some some boys, and we already t- t- touched on Jock, but um, you know, um, some of those other boys, particularly the ones that have senior contracts, uh, I really want to see them step up. You know, it, uh, our, our form in, in New South Wales Cup has been um, up and down for, for too much of this season. And uh, I think only the Newcastle Knights have a worse defensive record than us in the New South Wales Cup at this point. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to see some defensive we, resolve. When we've lost, we've just completely um, fallen apart. There's no, there's no way of avoiding that. I mean, when when a loss has come, it's it's been an absolute hammering. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's something that can't continue, particularly when you consider the amount of top thirty players that have played in the New South Wales Cup throughout the course of the season to date. So, you know, um, we're obviously missing some players. Forty um, touched on Tony Matteoli. Um, I think Jack Murchie, who's been back there, uh, has been missing the last couple of weeks, as is Matt Dory, um, uh, Matt Dory as well. Um, obviously, um, there's been some elevations due to injuries in first grade as well. So it's a, um, it's a very mixed side that's taking on um, the South Sydney team. 
um, in the curtain race. I mean, Jake, so, Jake's yeah. a huge inclusion. He'll help steer the team around the park and keep him competitive in anywhere near, like, you know, a, a balanced fixture, you know, anything that's close to an arm wrestle. Uh, but like you said, Quint, you need some of these uh, senior, some of these, uh, you know, NRL contractor guys to stand up. And, you know, that, that means Dejan, Hayes, uh, you know, obviously the two halves, Rankin and Arthur. Uh, but even players like Luke and Reddy, guys that are looking from the outside in on the NRL right now, looking to make a push. You know, need them to have big games. Yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, the you just don't know what's going to happen with injury. As, you know, we've now got Offer Hickey Ogden's getting his run in the NRL. Yep. And these, these blokes, they have to show that if there's an opportunity to be selected that they are ready to take that opportunity with both hands because uh, as it stands, if they're not producing in this, in this grade, uh, if you, if you've got an injury, BA would start to look at uh, juggling players from other positions into, into maybe what should be a specialist position simply because he mightn't trust the form of a, of a player coming in. So they need to be producing. And, and for those who maybe are off contract, or even if they're not off contract, they just want to secure their position at a club. And if they're not going to be with the Eels, then they need to be securing a position with another club. And that's not going to happen if you're... Well, it's going to be tough if you're running around in reserve grade, but it's even tougher if you're not performing when you're running around in reserve grade. So um, that now brings us, fellas, to the main event. And a very tough ask for the Eels taking on the high-flying South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, John, can you take us through the Eels team? Yeah, always a nightmare matchup for the Parramatta Eels, but especially when they're the form team of the competition this year. Uh, eight o'clock kickoff out at Allianz Stadium. So we look at the Rabbitohs quickly, boys. Uh, Latrell Mitchell at fullback. You've got Alex Johnston and Tane Milne on the wings. Isaiah Tass, Campbell Graham in the centres. Cody Walker, Lachlan Ilias are the halves pairing. In the front row, you've got Tavita Tatoa and Hame Sele, bookending Damian Cook. Michael Cheekham and Jacob Host are on the edges. Cameron Murray, the ever-dangerous lock forward, is that well, lock forward. Uh, on the interchange, you've got Blake Taff, Jai Arrow, Liam Knight, Daniel Sluka Fafita. And then we move to the extended roster where we find Ben Lovett, Richard Kenner, Peter Mamazoulos, Shakai Mitchell, and Dean Hawkins. Over on the Parramatta side, boys, a couple of changes this week. Some forced, some unenforced. We start at fullback with Captain Quinton Gufferson. Mike Acevo and Sean Russell are on the wings. Russell taking over from Dunster on the right edge. Will Penasini is on the right with Sean. Bailey Simonson on the left with Micah in the centres. Uh, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses come back together in the halves. Moses coming back from his mandatory 11-day stand-down for a Cat 1 failed concussion test. Uh, he'll join Brown there and hope to get the Eels back on track. In the front row, you've got Wiramu Gregg and Junior Barlow. Josh Hodgson and Dummy Half. Bryce Cartwright takes over from Sean Lane on the left edge. Andrew Davey continues his work on the right. Jermaine Hopgood is a starting lock forward. On the interchange, you already mentioned him 60s, but Offahiki Ogden gets the call-up. He's joined by Brendan Hands, Ryan Madison, and Makahesi Makatoa in rotation. Jake Arthur, Hayes Dunster, Kai Rodwell, Dejan Arcee, and Luca Moretti round out the extended bench. Ashley Klein got the main whistle. You got Drew Ultram and Blue in the Sharp on the sidelines, and Grant Atkins in the box. The dream team, the dream team has been assembled. <laughs> I think we need a, another stinger, mate. Dream team assembled. <laughs> but it might be it might be followed with um, some particular music that might might have us uh, not too popular with match officials. But anyway, 
Um, just a couple of things I want to point out, just statistically, just to let you know what we're up against. South Sydney sits second for run metres at 1,650. The Eels sit fifth at 1,604. Um, an area where we we have a little bit more to offer in the way uh, of attack than the Rabbitohs, but it makes absolutely no difference to the Rabbitohs' attack themselves, is that the Eels remain the number one team when it comes to offloads. Uh, the Raiders, this is going to surprise you, sit 13th. Sit 13th with averaging... Uh, more than five offloads less than the Eels per game. It just tells you that their their attack is probably a little bit more precision based. It's yep. it's there, there's a lot more that's happening from the structure than the unstructured, or at least any unstructured play isn't coming from offloads or or not as much of it. When it comes to line breaks, they are the second best in the competition. The Eels are surprisingly the third best in the competition. Maybe it's not so surprisingly. The uh, Rabbitohs average 5.5 line breaks per game. The Eels, five line breaks per game. The Rabbitohs are the best when it comes to conceding line breaks. They only concede 2.5 line breaks per game. Now, this is what, this is an anomaly that we keep talking about when it comes to the Eels. The Eels are in the top echelon of teams, when I say the top echelon, the top eight, they only concede 3.8 line breaks per game. They sit sixth best in the NRL when it comes to conceding line breaks. Now, we go down, and here's here's where it's an anomaly. The missed tackles, the Eels are the uh, sit ninth in the competition when it comes to missed tackles at 32.1 missed tackles per game. Um, the Rabbitohs sit fourth, and surprisingly, it's 30 missed tackles per game. Um, when it comes to ineffective tackles, the Eels sit 13th at 15 per game. The Rabbitohs fourth at 12.8 per game. So as we've spoken about before, the Eels' defensive systems and their scramble work well. Individually, the old hit and stick just doesn't seem to be working for the Eels. It's just, uh, um, you know, tough for them. Discipline. Now, this is where we talked about last week when it came to the referees. The last two weeks, the Eels have conceded 17 penalties. So that if they'd started the season like that, they'd be, they'd be sitting at 8.5 uh, penalties per game conceded. As it stands now, the Eels are starting to blow out a little bit. Not much. They're the fourth best team now after those last two weeks, averaging 5.3 penalties conceded per game. Here's what they're up against. The Rabbitohs now sit the best in the NRL. They only concede 4.8 penalties per game. Now, I have a little theory that I'd like to put to you fellas. And I was going to write about it. I'm not necessarily going to get the time to write about it. Forty and I have discussed about the Eels play the ball speed and that the Eels focus so heavily on not giving away set restarts that they allow the opposition to get a reasonably quick play the ball. They, you know, they try to ensure that their line is set, but they are always 
half a second to a second or more slower in their own play the ball than opposition teams. Now, that has created a situation where the Eels have suffered relatively few penalties going against them. They were the best disciplined team last year, the least penalised. However, it doesn't mean they received the most penalties. And that's something that the, the Eels don't get uh, when it comes to the, the penalties that they receive. The, uh, the Eels don't, they, in, in reverse, they don't receive um, very many penalties at all. It's, it sits around the same number as what they concede. And my theory is this, that in the Eels being so disciplined with the play of the ball, that the referees are getting what they think is a highly disciplined ruck in the game. So therefore the penalties don't flow. Not even if the opposition is conceding, is, is doing something that they shouldn't be. Like we saw with the Storm and the Sharks earlier in the season, laying all over in the ruck. Uh, literally, in the case of the Sharks, there was a lot of grappling around the head. But really slow lines, uh, really slow play the ball speed that was happening. So that's part of the theory. The other part of the theory is that with the Eels allowing such a rapid play the ball on the majority of tackles, that the moment that the play the ball speed falls to around the same of what their opposition is, they get pinged for ruck interference. Because it stands out that it's a lot slower than it normally is. Am I wild in thinking this? Am I am I off the mark with it? I mean, I, I just think that apart from last week with that anomaly, as I said, when the Eels are so disciplined, the the referees regard the op- the opposition teams as highly disciplined as well. Yeah, it sure, it sure feels like there's something in the source there, 100%. Yeah, Clint? I can't disagree with any of that. Um, you know, you, you also throw into the mix... Um, and this is something that gets thrown around NRL circles quite a bit, is that the referees have a KPI metric of a certain amount of penalties in their mind. Normally it's somewhere between, um, uh, I think, upwards as high as 16 per game. So, you know, in, in the law of averages, eight per side. Um, you know, if, if, if that is how, how uh, a metric that referees are being held to and how they're, um, uh, I guess, look, uh, judging the game um, and and refereeing the moments, then that gives even more weight to your theory, um, 60. So, you know, it, it's, I, 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 I think that there's a absolutely um, a focus and a dare I even say obsession within refereeing rakes to try and have as much equality across the game as possible in terms of the way that's officiated with the caveat that if anything really clearly disadvantageous happens, then you go for it. Um, because they're, they're so worried about their performances being scrutinised. Well, we I mean, look, even allowing for our bias that we have, how many times are we sitting there watching the game and, and we sit close to each other at, at Parramatta Stadium, well, at, at Combank Stadium, that is, and it was especially so in those first two rounds and that game against the Storm, but where they're bellowing about how long that the ruck speed was taking. And we knew that in the preseason, there was a 
there was a very clear instruction from the referees when they came out to training about what their expectations were going to be this year in terms of they, they wanted a, a quicker, cleaner rucks to happen. And uh, we saw that it, it just wasn't delivered at all. I mean, the, the, in, in that opening round, the work of Munster was, was spectacular with, uh, with how he was. Now, it may well be, it mightn't even be a factor this week because the Rabbitohs are the least penalised team. So perhaps what we could expect from them is maybe something similar to what the Eels aim for. So maybe it's not going to be a factor. I, I don't know. But, um, uh, fellas, how do we think this game is going to, to pan out? We know that the... Um, well, let me just give you an idea of the tackle breaks. The Rabbitohs are the sixth best team in the comp when it comes to generating tackle breaks. Um, they generate 32 tackle breaks per game. The Eels sit last at 24.3. I mentioned before about what's happening with missed tackles and uh, ineffective tackles. So the numbers there don't look good for the Eels. We we know that the Rabbitohs will generate more tackle breaks than what the Eels will. The Eels will miss more tackles and have more ineffective tackles than the Rabbitohs. How do we win it? How do the Eels win this game? It's difficult, Sixties, because every time I look at South Sydney's lineup, whatever given year it is, you can see they've got plenty of strike in the back line. It's always been spearheaded by Latrell Mitchell in recent seasons, but Alex Johnson's a wonderful finisher. Campbell Graham's finally starting to get his dues, but we've all been very high on him going way back. Uh, but I always look at their forward pack, and I feel like, man, we can beat up on this pack. And yet every time we play them, they just pound us in the middle. And it's yeah. like, and I, I say this knowing that they've got some absolute studs like Cameron Murray. He is an absolute superstar, like wonderful player. But then I look at, you know, Tavita Tolo is a good solid player. Same with Harme Sele. But Michael Cheekham, Jacob Host, Liam Knight, and Daniel Saluka Fafita, they're not world beaters. And yet, you know, game in, game out, year in, year out for the last three years, these, you know, non-world beating forwards have beaten us. And the big out this week that has been huge in those games was Tom Burgess. And that's probably going to be huge if the Eels are to get some traction in the ruck. But in saying that, I feel like on paper we should be doing good against them in the ruck, but I'm not confident that we will. So if we can't beat him in the ruck, we're not going to win this game. But in saying, like, in all that being said, uh, we, we should have been beating them in the ruck in other games. We just don't. They just managed to get a foothold there. And then uh, once you get those quick play the balls, Cameron Murray comes to life. Cameron Murray comes to life. It opens up Damien Cook. It opens up Latrell Mitchell. It opens up Cody Walker. And it just becomes this cascading, you know, series of issues that get worse and worse and worse. Well, could I then put this to you because you spoke about how it still happens every year and this might this, this, I, I don't want this to be the captain obvious question but would you have said that we are we would have been a genuine chance if Reg and Sean Lane were in the team and I'm talking about a genuine chance of winning I'm not talking about we would have done better would we have been a, be- a genuine chance of winning? Because we haven't been winning when we've been... Yeah, at, at unfortunately, as much as those two mean that we are, you know, a, as you saw last year, a, a grand final caliber team, in this particular matchup, I couldn't be confident their inclusions would be enough to move the needle to get us over the line. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, is it simply then 
that you've got a team that's um, let me just let me just check another stat because I want to have a look at how the Rabbitohs stack up when it comes to errors. Now, this is going to surprise you. The Rabbitohs sit 13th for errors made at 11.3 errors per game. The Eels sit 15th at 11.4. Now, that's that's negligible, that sort of difference. So they've been a similar team when it comes to errors. So they're making errors. They're not offloading. So they can't say that those errors are coming from offloads. I, I'm thinking to the games that I've watched the Rabbitohs playing, I can't, I don't recall them making a lot of errors in games. Is it just that they're not significant errors or that they don't allow themselves to be punished by errors? Uh, it's, that's got me beat. It's like, it, it seems like they are doing far better than some of their statistics might show. Clint, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to echo something that John started touching on there. And, you know, it, it, it seems like the Rabbitohs have the archetype of players as well as um, style of play that is matches up perfectly for defeating our team and the archetype of players that we have and the style of play that we, that, that we play. Um, you know, they've got all that speed in and around the ruck and they expose our bigger middle forwards to create spaces on the edges, you know, and, uh, the, the amount of times I've heard coming from um, um, from from the stands, the amount of um, fans baying for blood for one of our centres or one of our wingers for coming in, the space was already created in the middle, guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> that, that battle was lost. You know, three or four players yeah. on the inside. Well, can yeah. I just give you, can I just give you a stat that's going to attest to what you were just saying there? When it comes to um, hit ups and hit up meters the Rabbitohs sit top of the ladder in the NRL. Now, the Eels sit third, but it's obvious that the Rabbitohs just do a better job of doing that every week. And that, you know, how they perform in that regard might be how we aspire to perform in that regard. Or that maybe they just do it more consistently than what we can and that our our numbers are generally pretty good. But we have those periods where we drop off and don't do it quite so well. I don't know. I mean, it's, they're sitting top of the tree. So they obviously, they do that well through the middle. I I think it's worth adding to those, um, to those stats there sixties is not too dissimilar to Penrith. There is a lot of meters that come out of the backfield from, from South Sydney, their back line um, does bear a lot of the, um, the, the, the load there. And that's not to say that their middles don't do any work, you know, um, Obviously, um, Tom Burgess and the likes of um, um, Selle, who's been uh, quite the improved player over the last two seasons, uh, Jai Arrow, they all carry their own there as well. But the, um, the and, and of course, the mercurial um, Cam Murray, who, who seems to be able to do it all on that side at this particular point in time in his career. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of meters coming from the likes of Campbell Graham, um, Isaiah Tarty. Yeah, let, as you rattle off those names, I'm going to give you their a- average running metres. So you just I, mentioned Campbell Graham, 140.8 running metres per game. Uh, Tass, 134.5. Who's your next player you wanted to mention? Um, um, Tane Milne, who's only played a handful of games, but I think he ran for over 260 metres or something last week. Tane Milne, 148.3. Um, 
you know, you've even got Cody who who has pretty decent run meters for for a five eight. Alex Johnson, who's not a known meter maker, has been making meters in those sides. Now, some of that might be um, that padded by some line breaks and him utilizing his speed, but there's still meters being made nonetheless, and it's happening yeah. regularly enough to show that he's, he's over, his effect he's over, on the game. He's over 100. He's at 117, and, and that's that certainly compares favorably to, uh, to our wingers because we've got Sean Russell that's at 101.8, and uh, Sivo is, who's the big brute, is at 122. Now, why this becomes more of note as well, gents, is because um, with these outside backs, um, you know, getting or, or getting these extra 10, 20, 30, 40 metres on our outside backs, um, less of the load and burdens falling on their forward pack. We speak to the theory you had in relation to how the penalty swings against us in terms of our discipline around not trying to give away penalties in the ruck. Suddenly we've got um, middle forwards of South Sydney who are fitter, more agile. Sorry, use the term fitter more loosely. They're more agile um, and, they're not, and, and they're not being held down for that extra second. They're not having to take as many hit-ups because the burden of, of that responsibility is being carried by the outside backs. Where do they get to front load all of their energies to? Straight into the defensive line and their line speed. And then that's why historically our forward pack and our bigger boys who have been um, beaten at the ruck when we've been defending and then likewise um, gassed and then having to take hit-ups and having the burden removed from, from uh, having to take those carries. So... Uh, all of our, all of the efforts of our forwards who are gassed, um, having to take those hit-ups uh, and, and, and bear the burden of making our metres, they subsequently are having to double down on those efforts and it allows the South Sydney players to front-load all of their uh, efforts, the South Sydney forward pack, I should say, front-load their efforts into um, generating line speed. And they get to do that either side of the ball and punish our players both sides of the ball. Okay, so... I'm just having a look at where opportunities might lie in terms of um, where some errors or uh, missed tackles can be found with the Rabbitohs. And just looking at that, you've got Damien Cook misses 2.6 tackles per game. Campbell Graham, 3.2 misses per game. Um, Gee, there's, there's not... There's not too many. Because uh, <laughs> Burgess is out this week. He, he's good for uh, 3.5 missed tackles per game. Uh, another one, Kaloa Matungi, would be good for 2.9 uh, missed tackles per game. But we're, we're talking about um, uh, a couple of players who won't be taking their place. And we're actually probably happy that they're not those particular players aren't taking their place in the team. So unfortunately from the Eels perspective, um, you're looking at some players who um, who miss significant numbers of tackles. So we're talking about Josh Hodson, four point five missed tackles per game, although that's come down from over five earlier this season. So for the average to come down, you know that he's making some improvements there. Hopgood three point three missed tackles per game. Mitch Moses, 3.3 missed tackles per game. Sean Russell, 2.8 missed tackles per game. Um, Bryce Cartwright, 2.8 missed tackles per game. So you can see that there are a few individuals who are who are missing tackles. And it's, um, you know, they just seem to happen 
at key moments. And, um, you know, we it's only taken um, those, I guess, half breaks for teams to get down to our end and, uh, you know, get tries like happened with the Raiders last week, all those tries off kicks. So we only conceded two line breaks last week. But how many tries did we concede? What was it? Five tries per, in the game? It was uh, four tries in the game that we conceded. So, um, yeah, it's individual account, uh, responsibility, accountability. Is that? Do we need that? Do we need it, you know? Uh, or have we got a situation where the players just aren't all on the same page for the Eels? I mean, I look at last week and I go, do you know what? The Raiders, the Raiders were um, going into the game with momentum. They played relatively well. Um, they had the pen, uh, penalty count of 10-3. And yet, with all that, and with us not being with and be, with us being without Reg, being without Mitch Moses, and losing Sean Lane early in the game, we still could have and should have won. Like in spite of all that that unfolded, so um, you know I, I can make an argument that there's aspects of our game which are going better this year, but we are playing the Rabbitohs this week, and I guess if there's ever a measure of how we're going. It's going to be against the Rabbitohs. And unfortunately, as we've just said at the start of this um, uh, preview, we're going in without Reg, without Sean Lane. Like our forward, our loss of forwards has been, um, you know, so tough to deal with this year. Are we at the point now where we're ready to make some predictions? I mean, we haven't talked about... Is there anything that we can do to get a win out of this? I mean, is it just a matter of complete sets? Yeah, just play, play, play tough, try and control field position. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that, that's our best chance in doing so. You know, we, we have to replicate the efforts of the Penrith game in round four, in which we go set for set, we stay in the wrestle, and, um, and you know, hope, our, hope uh, we hit and stick as much as possible in the moments where um, those tackles do, um, we, we do fall off tackles that our, our cover is desperate enough to cover it. And the thing I think is- we, we have to, we have to, I mean, I think it's, it's a tough ask, but I think we have to reach the extraordinary stakes when it comes to completions. I think we have to yep. get up into that nineties, yep. into the nineties with completions. And the thing of the Rabbitohs too is, you know, stopping one aspect of them becomes really important because like I said, there's a cascading element to their team. If you can stop their fours getting a roll on, and you stop Cook and, and Murray carving you up, it takes their halves and it takes Latrell Mitchell out of the game. Uh, as good as Latrell is, uh, a lot of the, his best work comes off the catalyst of other players in the South Sydney team. He'll be there backing up and, and turning those half breaks and half opportunities into tries. So trying to minimise that impact by blunting them in defence and controlling field position is going to be huge. Like you said, Quentin 60s, it requires the Eels to be completing 85 90% you know, high completion rates there and getting to quality kicks. Thankfully, Mitchell Moses is back in that regard. But yeah, you need to do all that and defend strongly because the moment you make, a, like if you give them a line break, they're converting into a try almost certainly. Yeah, I, I, I have genuine fears around Damien Cook around the ruck. 
with yeah, um, Cook and Murray are the stuff of nightmare feel yeah, for our team. Yeah, they are, especially because um, you know I think we, as tough as this is going to sound, I don't want this to be a criticism, but uh, Woody's mobility. He's more of the power hitter in defence rather than the mobile mover in defence. He'll make a big hit, but you know if he's getting back in defence, if he's moving back in defence, if he's if he's isolated, if he hasn't got someone next to him, it can it it could be a problem if he's got someone like Damian Cook running at him off a quick break off to play the ball. Um, Hodjo hasn't been great with his defence around the ruck. Um, you know, it's uh, and and Junior, although he's got good mobility for a big man, he's still a big man, and it just, yeah, oh, he's my danger man as far as I'm concerned from the the Rabbitohs, even even more so than Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker. Um, so um, let's get into the into the business end of our preview. Your scoreline, uh, your winner and scoreline tips, fellas, John. I mean, you're always optimistic when it comes to the Parramatta Eels and you're always looking to tip a Parramatta win. And I will tip a Parramatta winning scoreline today with the caveat that, in reality, this could be a big loss uh, in the vicinity of you know, 20, 30-plus points in differential. I uh, suspect we all might be have, adding the same caveat. Yeah. So uh, South Sydney, they're best team in the competition right now. And outside of that, they've always just been... You know, that we've been their bunnies, somewhat ironically, uh, in the last <laughs> few years. So, look, I'll, I'll tip a Parramatta win, maybe uh, in like a reversal of what we saw against Canberra, somewhere in the vicinity of 24, 16, 26, 18, uh, sort of mid-20s to teens, uh, sort of margin of victory there. Uh, I'll go Mike Acevo, first try scorer. Uh, and then best on field. I mean... Let's just go for the the returning halfback Mitchell Moses. If we're going to win, we're going to need the halfback to just you know kick them to death, and then you know make the most of his uh, running opportunities. So Mitchell Moses best on field. Okay, Clink. Yeah, look, uh, I, I really struggle to try and. I'm going against every grain of my body, um, and every, every every part of my soul here. Even when I say that it's it's hard to tip an Eels victory tomorrow. But what we need to do is go into the game believing that we can win and target the areas that we think that we, we, we can enjoy some success. You know, and um, uh, uh, Forty touched on those edge players from South Sydney in Michael Cheekham and Jacob Host. I think that's the, the area that we've got to try and try and pepper and, you know, um, hit, hit those players with both overs and unders lines, try and create some, uh, get our halves running at those guys and try and um, try and isolate them a little bit and, Hopefully, we can um, you know, create a little bit of uh, joy for ourselves there. Likewise, um, to, to, to echo Forty's points, kicking game's got to be absolutely spot on. Um, but what I'd like to see as well is is us just upsetting the rhythm of the South Sydney team. And if that means putting the ball over the sideline just so that we can reset our defensive line, then so be it. You know, we've we've got to be going in there with the um, intent of not allowing them to get comfortable. If our goal if our goal tomorrow is to prevent um, South Sydney from getting um, comfortable, then we give ourselves every shot. That, along with um, a high completion rate, I, I agree. It's going to have to be 90-plus percent like it was um, in, the, um, uh, in the Panthers game in round four. We give ourselves every shot. But short of that, um, it'll be a, um, 
it'll be a 13 plus victory for um for south sydney unfortunately yeah and your your first try scorer best on field uh first try scorer um if it's us it'll be micah if it's them it'll be alex johnson or campbell graham um mitchell moses to echo john's points has to be best on ground for us to win Okay, fellas. So my caveat is simple. If the Eels can complete at a high completion rate, if they can uh, keep those missed tackles down below what they normally are, in other words, if they, uh, as you said before, Clint, if they perform in a similar manner to how they performed against the Penrith Panthers, then it's possible for them to win. Now, that's my caveat, that they, they do that. And if they hit that possibility, then I would be tipping an Eels 26-20 to 20 victory. If the Eels perform as they have done with unforced errors, missed tackles, and a completion rate that's down in the 60s or 70% area, then it will get ugly and I'd rather not tip what the score might possibly be. So... Um, my best on field for the Eels, I'm going to go with Junior Paulo. I've got to back him up. To, he, he didn't deliver for me last week, but I'll back him to deliver this week. It's a big match for him. And uh, first try scorer for the Eels, I'll go for Gutho to be the first try scorer this week. Fellas, that pretty much brings us to the end of our preview. And uh, a thank you to our sponsors, which is uh, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and uh, Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan, Parramatta, without their support of the Cumberland Throw, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. It is as pure pure and simple as that. So uh, our thanks to them. Fellas, thank you for tonight. Um, this, this podcast will be probably available for most people on match day. And thank you to everyone listening to the podcast. Uh, we, we certainly value all of our listeners, and um, especially when we get people that come up, they introduce themselves at, at Parramatta Leagues Club, the home of the Eels. We'll be back there next week for the Eels and uh, Cowboys game mm-hmm. for the, our, our reaction podcast. So we'll see people then. And apart from that, go you Eels.